Oh, I'm so excited to be here today. My name is Tim. I work here. Welcome to Hill Country Bible Church. I love our church. Um, that's Pastor Wayne's voice on that. And if you're uh, like an OG Hill Country, you know that Pastor Wayne is a pastor's pastor. I love that he's got that voiceover. And then my thin nasally voice comes up after that, like deep, rich. And I'm like, hey, welcome to church. <laughs> hey, welcome to church. Uh, Steiner, Leander, good morning. Hello, everybody online. We're thrilled that you guys have joined us. Hey, before we get started with teaching this weekend, I've got something that I've got to get off my mind and heart. Um, it's, it was a hard week for Texas Church, uh, and it was a heavy week for Austin Church. Uh, I would like to say a couple of things. There's a dozen top-shelf things that could be talked about, uh, and then there's dozens of things that descend from that. But I want to hit three things before we start today. Number one... Um, it is grievous and heavy, but it is also true that bad things happen in church, even in good churches. And I want to say that because um, sometimes churches have to react a certain way when certain things happen, and you're really stuck between looking like you're really gracious, and then you diminish the significance in the lives of the people who were hurt by people in church, or you swing your pendulum and sometimes you lack grace and you just talk about evil. And I want to acknowledge that number one, bad, hard things happen in good churches. And number two, I want to appreciate this week that our brothers and sisters in Christ over at the stone here in Austin, they learned and they acted and they disclosed. And we don't know all the details. We really don't. And man, God, keep my heart from wanting to know all the details of things that are not my details to know, but I know that the truth of number one is heavy and difficult, and what they shared this week was courageous, and then the third thing, number three, is what we don't know, and how we all resolve situations like this in our own minds and in our own hearts with where does grace get applied in a situation like this. The short answer is grace gets applied everywhere. And so in a minute, we're going to be the church. We're not going to watch a church service. We're going to be the church, and we're going to pray grace into the lives of the people who were affected by this, and there's a lot. We're going to pray grace into the life of that church so that they've got the strength to keep handling it, and we're going to pray grace over um, everyone involved. So if you guys don't mind, I know you're supposed to pray at the end of church, and I'm breaking the formula, but we're a church family, amen? And they're in our family too, and so we're going to pray God, high king, you stepped out of perfection into our world because of brokenness. You stepped into brokenness. You stepped into a body so that your body could be broken. And so, God, we look to you in this moment, acknowledging that you are better equipped for weeks like this than even we are. And, God, we confess that we bring our own weakness connected to your name. God, I am not a perfect person. Lord, we are not a perfect people. And so, God, I pray for us that you would keep us humble and close to you so that in moments of our weakness, Lord, we return to your cleansing power. And God, right now we pray for grace. Lord, what we seek from you is that you would sustain the people who have been directly impacted by these things. God, I pray that you would bring them, Lord, maybe back to their church out of trust Lord, I pray that you'd bring them to other believers out of trust. And Lord, I pray that you would work to redeem and reconcile those things in them which are broken. God, we pray that you would strengthen that church. And Lord, that you would keep them close to you. 
And then, Lord, I pray for all parties involved. Lord, would you call us back to grace, the high calling that it is, the low mistakes that it fixes, and God, help us to be a people of the cross. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen. On a week like this, we don't need platitudes, we need a God. We need Jesus himself. And so this week, I'm very grateful that we get to jump right into a story in your Bible that's going to bring us face to face with who he is. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Click there, flip there, I don't care, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We are beginning a brand new series looking at a core idea that is found in this passage. And I heard some people talking next to me. You know what? I think the TV today is decorative. Um, (laughs) Hopefully, those of you at Leander, just look in your Bible, um, Steiner Ranch, and here we've got side screens. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 is going to begin a story that we're going to work through slowly and then try and hold deeply. That's our task today. Work through a story slowly and hold it deeply. So, verse 17 says this. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, your story this weekend is simple. It's found in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Okay, three books in the New Testament all record this story. They all have a teeny little bit of detail that like, ooh, I want to include this, and we'll teach you those details. But it's tremendously simple. There's two characters. Jesus is approached by a man, and the man has one question. So that's it. And as Jesus answers that question in layers, the layers are going to push on us what we are going to hold for a month and a half. Because I think the pressure that sits on this man and the challenge in the answer is very pertinent for today's believer. So let's notice a couple things. Right off the bat, in the first verse, what you should notice is that the man calls him good teacher, okay? Right? He says, hey, good teacher, I got a question for you. What do I got to do to get into heaven? Just in the first thing that you learn, you know a lot about this guy. Because by the time you get to Mark chapter 10, there's a sliding scale of different characters that Mark has included on how they react to Jesus. Some people are followers. They are all in. They are the Swifties of Mark's gospel, okay? And then on another end of the scale, you've got um, critics, the ones who are angry, the ones who criticize, the ones who divide. And so somewhere on this sliding scale, Mark introduces you very quickly to a man that says, hey, good teacher. Well, that's a term of respect. It's a term of affection. But it's not like Swifty level of devotion, and it's not critic. It's just a fan. Like, the guy comes to Jesus, and with this introduction and the question, you could already culturally be learning from Mark if you lived way back then. Oh, he's treating Jesus kind of like you would treat a Google search. Hey, I want to know something real quick. I'm going to Google it, and when I get the piece of information that I want, I'm done again. I'm not loyal to Google. I don't follow those searches. I, I, I bounce in, and I bounce back out. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, I can hear a special reappearance of the TV. This... Oh, man, church is hilarious. Okay? So, when you see good teacher, just know that Mark is equipping you with where this man sits on a scale of fully devoted and a full critic. He's somewhere in the middle. He's a fan. The second thing is really important because this phrase, 
on the TV. What must I do? Yes, to inherit eternal life. That is part of it. But as the story develops, as Mark walks you through what this guy says and what Jesus replies with, what must I do is really crucial to understanding where this is going. Now, a little bit more insight on who this person was. This dude is an alpha. He's not a beta, okay? In Luke's gospel, you learn that he is an archon. That little Greek word that Luke dropped in his account means ruler. He held some position of power. It's undefined, but he's like a governor, or he's like the mayor of town, or he's like a senator. Dude had some spot of significance. Later on, in all of the stories, you find out that he was wealthy. He had, like, a lot of resources. So you've got to understand that when this dude, when an alpha asks, what must I do? Eh, that's a pretty core concept on why the story winds up where it winds up. So, as I'm able to do right now, I'm moving on to verse 18. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Okay, the answer is really interesting. There's two things that you've got to like, oh, there's something going on here. The first thing is Jesus' first answer. He says this, hey, how come you called me good? No one's good but God alone. That's actually important to the flow of the passage. Because Jesus is talking to this guy and he says, hey, thanks for treating me with respect, but you used a big word. When you talked to me, you said that I was good and I just want to push back on you. That's great. I appreciate that. But only God is good. So if you're going to use that word with me, you're using a God word with me. And that's important as the story unfolds. I'm going to leave it. The next thing that Jesus does is very interesting, though. Because Jesus says, you know the commandments, and then he says a few of them. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. These are horizontal commandments. Not all y'all grew up in church, so not all of y'all know salty. But those of us who are my age and older, who are the right age in life... Um, there was, there was a, 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 a book of songs, and it was Salty, the songbook, and Salty was a mascot. He was a book, and he had a book. It's, it's, it's like Inception. There's layers. And Salty's songs would teach you portions of Scripture. And if you remember your Salty, the songbook, you actually know the Ten Commandments. Number one, we've just begun. God should be first in your life. I, those aren't even the notes. I know that. You're already cringing and like, oh, please don't finish. I won't. <laughs> but as you sing the song, you can actually crack out your Ten Commandments. And what's interesting about doing that, the value of remembering the Ten Commandments, is that they start with the vertical. Honor the Lord your God. Don't commit I or don't have idols. The first four commandments are about your relationship with God. And then after that is established and set, then they move into horizontal. And these commandments that Jesus quotes are in the horizontal set. It's don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, honor your mom and dad. I do think it's interesting, and I'm not going to read a lot into this, but I think it's interesting that Jesus starts off and he says, hey, 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 you used a God word with me. Did you mean to do that? I'm going to let that go. Let's talk about the commands. Hey, 
all of these horizontal commands are how you get to heaven. Jesus is starting where the guy is at. He's walking with him at the pace that the guy wants to walk at. Jesus is entering the conversation this man wants to have, but he's, he's you'll see. Verse 20 says this, the man replies back to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Oh my goodness. Um, you're starting to learn a little bit more about this guy. When I said he's an alpha, not a beta, I wasn't trying to be hip and cool and use the current lingo for men who are driven. This man is an achiever. He, he's got the credentials. I've worked my way up the ladder. I've saved a lot of money. I've done all the right ethical things. And I'm really here to fact check my LinkedIn profile against Jesus. Can you look over it, please? And it's interesting because Jesus is acknowledging, you're kind of asking me God's stuff, but it feels like you keep pulling me back that you want my endorsement. You're not asking me for mine. And so as Jesus starts with this and moves to the horizontal, the man answers. He's like, oh, good. I was hoping you'd say that because I did it. And it's like, you did what? You loved everybody your whole life? You lived an entire life of integrity? Like, you somehow have embodied the purity of God's relationship with you in every relationship with everyone you've ever met. You did it? You're done? And he's like, yep, I loved everybody. I did it all right. And it's like, hmm, well, I mean, probably not, but let's take it where it's at. Um, you had a toddler once upon a time, for those of us who are parents, and sometime between the age of two, three, and four, They've got this weird mix of they want you to do things for them, and sometimes they want to do it themselves. They're like, no, I do. I do. I do. And you're looking at them, and you're thinking, no, if you do what you just asked to do, the house will burn down. If you do what you just asked to do, you're, you're going you're gonna to break an arm. You don't do. No do. But somewhere along the line, your toddler needs to learn that there is this balance of them following you but you carrying the load, I'm telling you right now, I, I promise, because I've read this passage over and over in commentaries about the passage, right here, the guy just looks into the face of God himself and says, I do, I do. It's just an interesting development in where he started and where Jesus let the conversation go to, and then he's like, cool, I'm glad you kept it there because I'm happy to report to you, God, I finished, I'm all done. Now, Matthew's version to this answer right here adds this quick little clause. It's a phrase where Matthew's version says, I did all of this, what do I still lack? Now, you might read that and say, wow, the guy's real humble and he's like trying to like bring himself before God. Ah, the guy I think is just asking, hey, I would like to beat the main quest and move on to side quests. Hey, I would like to prove once and for all that I have earned heaven. Hey, I'd like to know that I know that I know that no matter what happens between you and me, I've got mine. The guy looks at Jesus and says, I've done all of this. Is there anything else I need to do to prove to you that I'm worth it? That's the question. And the story takes an important turn right now. The story turns in verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. 
Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, on the surface, that sounds right. Exactly. That's a bible story. That's a Jesus story. It's like, hey, a man finds something in a field, and he sells everything he has, and he goes and gets that field. Hey, this man sees a pearl, and he's like, oh my gosh, that's the most beautiful pearl I've ever seen. I'll sell my dumb stuff to have this awesome thing. We've seen stories where Jesus walks out to disciples and says, stop fishing, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So right off this bat, or right off the bat, this feels familiar to you, and I just need you to notice that this starts to get really pushy. The little forecasting, the foreshadowing that Jesus introduced in, why did you call me good? Only God is good. Jesus is pressing on right now. He's leaning into this. You see, Jesus' response to the man at this stage is, I think, Jesus' call to the American church at large. We have a lot of people who are trying to live a life right and want to get to heaven, for sure. And they keep looking to add something that they lack to their portfolio. It is really easy to turn Jesus into a checklist and say, okay, I'll do that. Okay, I'll do that but manage him from the bottom up rather than treat him like God from the top down. So we are going to pull our attention in the scripture to a couple of phrases. These two things that he loved him and he looked at him and said, you lack something. In our day and age, we don't like that. People now say that if you use punctuation in text messages, that's too aggressive. I'm like, whoo, we are way too soft if I'm not allowed to use a comma, y'all. And so in our modern sensibility, the fact that you would love someone and challenge them is a contradictory idea. It is self-evident that Jesus did not love him because he would not have challenged him. And so the tension that we are going to unwind today and then, ah, welcome to church, we are going to sit in this tension for five weeks is because what Jesus is doing in this man is what needs to be done in the minds of a lot of believers in today's day and age. That God adds to my resume when I want him to, and he informs how I advance my life. But when he wants to call and speak to me like he's God and I need him, that's my church overreaching. That's God being too aggressive. And we downplay the ways which God gets to be God. And we get to be his children, and instead we substitute out looking for an endorsement or a certificate from him to us. You see, in this moment, Jesus gave him a real answer, not a thin answer. And this dude's an archon. He's a ruler. He's got power. He's wealthy. He's got cash. He doesn't need much more. He's an alpha, not a beta. And I assume, but I do not know, that there's some motivation in his question on how could he level up past this world. You see, Jesus came to pay a penalty for us. That's the purpose of his body. He could have kept coaching us from a distance. He could have sent out an email or a Slack and be like, hey, bro, I noticed this, do this instead. The reason Jesus steps into a body is that your body is hurtling towards death. And so Jesus steps into a body so that his body can step into death because he wants your penalty paid. He wants that devastation resolved. So in his body on a cross, he pays. And then in the resurrection, he offers himself, not for you to look to level up. And that distinction is a really, really big deal to him. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this story, but only Mark says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Agapesen auton. He loved him. How on earth is this challenge loving? We'll step out of church for a minute, okay? Shake it off. Shake it off. Uh, you are sitting back at your first date with your boo. That's California speak for your beloved, your betrothed, okay? Uh, and for some of you, you are not yet married, so you are going to jump ahead in your Loki timeline. You're going to jump ahead to the meal, the dinner, the first time you sat with your beloved, okay? And you get to watch. Like, Ghost of Christmas past, you get insight, or for some of you, Ghost of Christmas yet to come. You're watching your first date, and you're like, oh my gosh, I love this part of the movie. And you're sitting there watching the first date where you fell in love. And the more you watch, you're like, okay, all right, stop talking, ask a question. And the more you watch, you're like, no, but seriously, stop talking, compliment them. And the more you watch, you're like, no, seriously, stop talking about yourself. Ask a question, compliment them, appreciate them, lean into who they are, stare into their eyes, but stop talking about you. And the date ends, and they walk away, and you're sitting there, and your heart is thumping, and you're like, no, not the, tell me that's not how the first date went. Because what I remember is falling head over heels for them. I talked the whole time? Oh. In this story, he's face to face with God, and he's talking the whole time. And Jesus is sitting on the other side of the table. And when Mark says that he looked at him and he loved him, and he challenged him, Jesus says, you've got to stop talking about yourself and see me. You're just not enough. And that's terrible news if nothing can solve it. But it's good news if the one sitting across from you can solve it. And so in this story, when Mark includes agapesen auton, he loved him, you've got to wrestle with that idea. Because the thing that Jesus did that was loving was he challenged him. Ah, okay, all right, Tim, I'm with you. I, I, believe that, I believe that Mark is trying to represent that Jesus loves. But how is the challenge loving? Because this dude was moral, and he was an achiever, and he was like, did the right thing. And then now all of a sudden the story turns hard and Jesus says, sell everything, bro, and follow me. And the guy's like, whoa, I didn't see that commandment. And I'm going to go back. And number one, we've just begun. That should be first in your life. Number two, the idol rule, those graven images aren't nice. And he gets through the whole song and he's like, hold on, Jesus. Nowhere in the salty song did it say sell everything and give it all away. It just doesn't. But Jesus is looking across at a table at a guy that is trying to manage God. He's trying to say, why don't you endorse me? And Jesus is like, oh no, but I love you and I don't want you to walk away from this. He's, uh, the challenge lives herein. The challenge you need to understand through white claw. I know, you're like, what? You heard it exactly right. I had a friend in the valley I lived in. And he just lived at a different level than most people live in. He signed up for a club, okay? It was either a whiskey or a bourbon club, I don't remember. And some of us have friends, maybe you've been in a wine club or a cheese club, and they send you a bottle of wine or a cheese every month, 
Or maybe they do crazy and they like little sampler bottles of wines or cheeses, right? Well, I'm asking him, like, oh, so they send you like a box with different types of whiskey or bourbon? I'm sorry, I don't know the difference. Okay, I don't, no hablo rich, yo soy poor, okay? <laughs> and uh, and he, he kind of got embarrassed and I'm like, it's okay, like, you know, as long as you control your drinking, like, I'm not, he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not embarrassed by that. I'm embarrassed by what the club is. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> In this club, an expert every two months collects different whiskeys or bourbons that he thinks are high, and then he assembles a case, and then he flies to your home, and he does a tasting party for you and your friends. It's up to 10 different friends. Oh, yeah, because this is a different level. Like, this is different. And I, he's just saying the words to me, and my face just goes blank. And I'm like, yeah, no hablo, bro. I don't even, I think everything you said was English, but none of it made sense to me. When Jesus looked at him, and he said, here's what you lack. You want heaven. You want a tasting room of what heaven's like. And you won't let go of your white claw life. Like, yeah, I'm going to push on the one thing that you won't let go of. Because what you asked for was this. And you're hoping it means that. And I'm telling you right now, I understand that's a struggle. But I've watched him do this in my life. When he says, Tim, I need you to let this go. And I'm like, no. And he's like, I need you to let it go. And I'm like, but God... That's how I feel secure. That's how I know I'm worth something. That's how I know I measure up. And God's like, I know. That's why you have to let that go. Because I am your measure. I am your portion. You don't line up. But Tim, you find yourself in me. And we wrestle back and forth with a thing. And he's calling me to a private tasting party. And I won't let go of my white claw life. Guys, I don't know what to tell you other than Jesus means what he means. He will speak into your life and be very challenging at times. This is his point. Jesus has reached the call where he's like, bro, I need you all in. I need you to tell me that you are not a fan, but that you are a follower. I need you to demonstrate that those things that you brought to me, that you're trying to say, hey, these reflect that I follow you. Those are things that reflect your own life. And this is why I want to talk about it for a while. Everything in your life begs you to measure up to a standard. And he's got his. He was a ruler. He was wealthy. He was moral. He had his code. And man, the women in our culture are so battered all the time by image and like well you better be fully independent you don't need no man but did you get a boo like it's this impossible thing men like did you get a raise did you climb the ladder do you have abs no none of those like i'm just a dad students feel the pressure like grades in the team and did you get a starting spot and are you a captain there's always a ladder for everything and every hour of your day, you're begged to add to your portfolio, and God is begging you to follow him with all of that you are. Not to add to yourself, but to give all of it away. And it is for your good. It is out of his love, sitting across the table with you, and it is for your good that you find yourself in him. But here's what it will cost you. All of it. It just will. So, how did that go? Did it help the guy? He's like, oh my gosh, what great insight. This makes total biblical sense. No, it didn't go that way. Disheartened, he walked away saying, 
I can't do this. I'm sorrowful because I have great possessions. Our series is called All In because we want to move your life from being a fan of Jesus to a follower so that you're not showing up to this church thinking, yeah, 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 I know you guys talk about giving your life to Christ. I'm going to keep checking in at a distance. I'm going to manage God at arm's length. And if you know, you know. This isn't our place to judge what you've done with him, but you know already. And as you move through the story and as you're listening to me say the phrases, you manage God, you keep him at arm's length, your heart's pounding and you're really wishing you hadn't come to church today because you didn't want to hear that, just that. But the rest of us do. The rest of us care. And we, we worry and we wonder, where am I with God? And across this series, we want you to know you don't have to worry and wonder where you stand with God. God will make himself clear over and over and over again. So as we move through the series, we've got a few things that we'd like to do, a few things we'd like to accomplish in our series called All In. The first thing is this. We all frame our view of God, clearly or not, so we're going to work on being clear with you. And what do I mean by that? Well, we all wonder, am I going to heaven? Am I close with God? Am I on his good list right now? We would all, maybe if we had the courage, go to Jesus and ask this question. But then we don't know. We lack the definition sometimes. We're not so sure. And so God does good things. He talks about the intangibles through tangible. Like this. Um, if you had kids, more than one, as soon as you had more than one, you learned that children have issues. Let's just say that, okay? And so your kids are little. They're like five and three. And the three-year-old wants to play with something that the five-year-old has. What does the three-year-old do? They take it. That's it. There's no dialogue, no discourse. There is no electoral process. They just take the thing. And then the five-year-old does what the five-year-old does. Thump, retrieve. Like, that's the whole process, okay? And then you step in, and all of a sudden, you start to like, oh, you're going to gentle parent. And you're like, oh, baby, here's what we do. Hey, your little brother is more important than that Power Ranger. And so here's what I want. Share the Power Ranger. <gasps> and then, no, nothing good happens after that, guys. So it says, <laughs> your five-year-old tells you, no, this is my Power Ranger. And by the way, I clearly thumped him and I earned it back. So like kind of double my Power Ranger. <laughs> And then you, then you start to descend quickly into madness when you're reasoning with the five-year-old. No, 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 no. Clearly the value of your three-year-old brother's life is greater than the value of the Power Ranger. And your five-year-old looks at you as if like, what? No, we disagree on that right off the bat. I love this Power Ranger way more than my little brother. And so you are now left with, in the span of your parenting, teaching intangible concepts through tangible avenues. We are going to move you through five tangible avenues. Where is your time spent? And it's going to be challenging for some of you that you dip in and you dip out in your walk with God. God is not the God of your time. It's a tangible way for you to look at the intangibles of are you all in or are you not? We're going to look at what you do with your treasure. And let me tell you, I feel the weight of a church talking with people about their money in America. Who? Because we don't have a lot of gods, but money's one of them. Jesus talked about it, and we're going to talk about it too. We're going to look at what you do with his truth. We're going to look at what you do with the talents he's given you. 
And it's not really that, like here's, let me say something real clearly. If on the week we talk about your time and all 5,000 people at church sign up to volunteer and zero people talk with their father about it, we didn't do our job. On the week that we talk about treasure, and all 5,000 people are like, oh, get off my back, bro, fine, I'll give. And nobody prays. If that's what God has for their life, we failed. Because in each of these things, we are not obsessive about the power ranger. We're obsessed with the sufficiency of God in your life. But we know that you need tangibles because I need a tangible. So we will work to make God clear in the span of our series killer quote from Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about who we are. This governs how you handle hardship and relationship and changing culture and even the five topics will hit. Second thing that we need to acknowledge is this. God is going to call you to all of himself. He does want you all in, period. And we won't back away from that, but what we're going to do is work to give you on-ramps. That each and every week is a chance for you to think with what we already talked about in January. Huh, they talked from Scripture this week about what I do with my time. You're going to ask God, am, am I needing to wrestle my time over to you? you you're going to take this to him. Oh, it's going to be amazing. You're going to love it, except for the part where he challenges you. But you're going to love that too. And then the last consideration is this. We'll give you clarity. We want you to work to hear him through us. Again, we really do. We care more about the fame and glory of Jesus than your retention span through a series, more than how much you give on a given weekend, more than how many hours you serve this year. He is the goal. So every week, as we're sharing, admittedly, a straightforward challenge, Please hear from us that we care way more about how this pulls you to him than to ourselves. And there are three things that we can do right now in this moment to respond to the fact that God can call you all in. The first is what every environment already heard. We're doing baptisms at Easter. And in a big church, I know it's easy to watch other things happen and say, I love what they did and discount what God is calling you to. Even in our smaller environments, like Steiner and Leander, it's easy to watch us do things and say they're so good at that. Baptism is a chance for you to act on it. Baptism is a chance for you to say, I believe, I'm all in, and I want the world to know. Did you know that God's probably going to allow 10,000 people to come into our services? And we want those people not to see Hill Country. We want them to see Him. And your baptism, as intimidating as it might be, your baptism is a way for our church to communicate the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that lives still follow him. So the number one way I think that some of you can respond to going all in is your heart is pounding now and you're like, darn it, why did he bring me up? I don't even know if your heart is pounding. But if you need to get baptized, you need to take that step. So you're going to go to our website, hcbc.com slash baptism. The second thing that you're going to do is you're going to show up each week ready to pray on what you've heard. That's all we're asking. We want you to be engaged with us so that you can engage with him. That's going to be the undulating pattern, okay? And then the third thing is this, is that if you're in our church and somehow we're allowing you to manage God from arm's length, our bad. We're going to call you in a moment and during prayer to surrender your life to him. Let's pray.
Father, we love the fact that you step near to us. We love the fact that in story after story, you sit across someone and you hear them talk about themselves and then you tell us about yourself. So God, I pray that in this series, we would hear more clearly how when you call parts of our life, you're calling all of our life. And Lord, I've got a burden this week for some people in our church that they are this character in this story. That they're around you, they're near you, but they manage you. And let's keep everyone praying for just a minute so that some of you can have a moment. I'm going to talk right to you. If you know that you've been managing God for years, and you know sometimes these moments happen where he cuts through and he says, no, I need all of you. I need you to follow me. I want to be clear with you today. And I want you to act on it. I would like for you to feel the freedom in this moment that you sit in a church of people who trust that calling. So could you do this? In your own moment, right now, you tell God these things. God, I admit I am broken apart from you. And God, I believe who your son is. I believe what he did. I believe he died and rose again. And today I choose. Today I choose, God. God, I choose to give you all of myself. Today I choose to follow. Today I choose that Jesus is my sufficiency. And as a church, we will celebrate along with you. Because, Lord, our lives are built for you. We pray these things in your son's name. And everyone said, amen.